in the baptism of Jesus. Um, yeah, in some ways, we're talking about two different types of baptism going on. Those are important to understand. First off is the baptism that John the Baptist is giving. He's called John the Baptist because he baptizes. Uh, but even John says that there's a difference between the baptism that he's doing, uh, performing, and the baptism that is to come. At one point he says, one, is, one who is mightier than I is coming, and while I baptize with water, he will baptize you with fire and the Holy Spirit. So what was John's baptism? It wasn't baptism like we think of it. It's not receiving the Holy Spirit. It didn't actually, in some ways, it didn't do anything. It was just symbolic. It was a, a right to try to embody something that people were trying to do in, our, in their hearts. It was a baptism of repentance, which just meant that people would come down to John uh, at the Jordan, and they would recognize that they were sinners and in need of, of conversion, that something needed to change, and that they wanted to change. They also knew that the kingdom was coming. John the Baptist taught them that, that the kingdom of God is coming, so it's, now it's time to repent. And so they would be lowered down into the waters and pulled back up by John the Baptist to acknowledge their sins and to ask that God would bury their sins and then raise them to something new, that there would be like an end of something and a beginning of something new. But again, the baptism didn't actually do anything. It was just a public declaration of the fact that they were sinners. So it's very astonishing that Jesus just comes down with the crowds, with everybody else. He gets in line with all the other sinners who are publicly declaring themselves as sinners. And then at some point, somebody's done with their baptism, and then he steps up to the front, and John the Baptist sees him and is like, what are you doing here, right? Like, this is for sinners. This is for people who have done wrong. We know that Jesus, he's not a sinner. He's God himself. He's perfectly innocent. Uh, perfectly immaculate, meaning without stain. He's purity itself, holiness itself. But he comes to declare himself a sinner. That's weird. What's going on, though, is that Jesus is saying, I'm going to be a sinner from now on. And, and that doesn't mean he's going to do sins. But that does mean that he is taking sin upon himself. In the baptism, in Jesus' baptism, it's like, it's like as if everybody had been washing themselves in this river and they're washing off all the scum and all the filth. And there's just the dirt of sin in the water. What does Jesus do? He takes all of that and he takes it on himself. And he promises that he will suffer the consequences of all that sin. We know that Jesus suffers the consequence of that sin on the cross. It's like God looked at you and me in our sinfulness and he just saw like, oh, you can't make up for this. You're just too little. You can't do it. You're too wounded. You can't pay the price. You're too poor. So with this just infinite mercy and compassion, God looks upon our debt of sin and says, you know what, we'll just, we'll take care of it ourselves. Like, we'll do, deal with this in-house. The Father, Son, and Spirit, like, we'll, we'll take care of it for you. So Jesus comes to take all of our sins upon himself, and they are nailed to the cross. And he receives the punishment for our sins, again, out of deep love. It's all love. But there's also a really important way that we don't just see that in, um, yeah, in a big broad sense, but in a very personal sense. What's happening at Jesus' baptism is he's drawing close to you, in every place of your sin, the actual things that you've done and failed to do, the things that you've said and haven't said, right? your thoughts and your words, Jesus is coming into those places of your lives and saying, hey, these sins that weigh you down so deeply, 
and sometimes cause you so much shame and fear. Like, I'm going to hold them with you, and they'll be our sins. They'll be your sins, but they'll also be my sins. But I'll take care of them. And you don't have to do anything. I, I just need you to give them to me. Jesus comes in a very real way to take your sins and my sins, the actual sins of our actual lives that happen on actual days at actual times. He sides up next, sidles up next to us and sits down and says, Hey, can, could you give that to me? I'll, I'll take care of it. And they'll be my sins. And I'll handle it with the Father. We'll, we'll take care of everything. You don't have to worry about it anymore. So he comes to unite himself and to identify himself with you and with me and with all of our sins. At the baptism, Jesus comes to take something from you, and he comes to give you something. And the taking and the giving are the best possible things. What does he want to take? He wants to take your sins and your weakness and your pain, and he wants to take all that upon himself and share that with you. But then we see that something different happens at Jesus' baptism that happened at anybody else's. So he enters into this place of deep humility, almost humiliation. God himself is saying, I am a sinner. He's entering into this, this baptism of repentance. Um, but as soon as he comes up out of the water, what happens? It's like the God the, Father's, God the Father's heart just bursts open with love and joy and pride over his son. Not because his son is so great, but because he takes the lowest place, because he loves you so much. What does he love most about his son? The way that he looks at you and the way he sees you and loves you. The Father sees himself in that, that the son wants to be just like the Father. So Jesus comes up out of the water and says the heavens are opened. That's important. It says they're open for him, but they're also open for us. Heaven is being opened back up. Salvation is coming. And the relationship that God has within himself for all eternity is being opened out to us, and now God the Father is being revealed to us so that he might become our Father. But the Father declares over Jesus his identity. His deepest identity is what? One who is loved. He says, this is my beloved Son with whom I'm well pleased. I love that the father just like has to tell people. He's like so proud. He's just like, hey everybody, <laughs> this is my son, who I love deeply, and not just who I'm pleased with, but with whom I'm well pleased. Like really deeply overjoyed with. What's going to happen is when Jesus baptizes you, it's going to be with a new baptism. Not the baptism of John, although it involves part of that. There is a repentance in our baptism. We do say, I'm a sinner and I'm in need of salvation. Jesus wants to take our sins, but he wants to give you something. And the giving is way more exciting than the taking. The taking is like, yeah, 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 he's going to get rid of your sins. That's important. But what does he want to give you? He wants to give you that same voice and identity that resounded over him at his baptism. The voice that says, you are my beloved, with whom I am well pleased. That is the voice of your father. And he's your father now because Jesus has given him to you. Jesus comes to take our sins and to give us his life, his father, the spirit that unites them. He comes to give you his everything. If you're like me, just hearing those words, gosh, there's something in my heart that longs to hear that deeply. The words of the father. I feel like that's the center of my life. It's what I seek above everything. And I seek it sometimes in sideways. And, you know, I try to impress people. But deep down, what does my heart want? I want somebody to see me deeply and to say, You are my beloved with whom I'm well pleased.
That is your destiny. That is what the Father aches to give you, is your identity as his beloved son or his beloved daughter. That's who you are now by your baptism. Your sins have been taken away. Every Mass we say, Lamb of God, you take away the sins of the world. It's beautiful. They're, they're gone. And if you sin again, great. He's going to take them away again. Like that dynamic is, is ever alive in our lives. He, he's always waiting to take away our sins. But also, every day, he wants to remind you of who you are. You are, you are the, the Father's beloved. The beloved sons and beloved daughters of God the Father, with whom he's well pleased. Jesus, again, uh, hears the Father's voice in this place of deep humility. He hasn't healed somebody. He hasn't performed anything. No, he's just gone to the lowest place and identified himself with us sinners, which means in the lowest place, in the misery of our sin, the Father's heart and voice still rings out the same, you are my beloved, with whom I'm well pleased. His love comes first. I was going to conclude. I'm going to tell you one last little story. I'm sorry. Uh, I kind of forgot about it until this moment. Maybe that's God's will. Maybe it's just me talking a lot. But one year after I entered seminary, I was freaking out because I didn't know if I was doing God's will. And I, was, I went down to Peru, the country, not Peru, Nebraska, even though Peru, Nebraska is probably great. But I went to Peru, the country, and I spent 10 weeks with this religious order trying to figure out if I was supposed to join this religious order because I didn't know if I was supposed to be a priest or like a religious brother or whatnot. I'm having a miserable time down there. It's super intense. These guys are just good men and striving for holiness, but they're also really intense and had a lot of hard conversations with them. And one question they would keep asking me is, Scott, who are you? Which is like, what? how am I supposed to answer that? <laughs> you know? What they were getting at is that this idea that your, our vocation is it's our, part of our identity. It's who God made us to be, right? We have some teachers here that know that, like, I'm a teacher. Deep down, God has called me to teach, to care for kids, right? Like, that's a, that's a vocation. He's called that out of you. That's who you are. But they ask, Scott, who are you? And, you know, the question is like, am I a priest? Am I a husband? Am I a religious brother? Yada, yada, yada. And I'm freaking out. Because also deep down, I think I have to figure out what God wants me to do. And I have to do a really, really good job at it. And then maybe when I die, he'll be proud of me. Like, that, that was operating in the back of my head. So I was really afraid. And so about eight days in, I'm praying in the, in the chapel there and uh, they keep asking me who I am. <laughs> and so I was like, God, who am I? Like, I need to know who am I? And these words came to mind with deep power and conviction. And I just sensed God saying to me, you are my beloved son. And I just wept. And, and uh, yeah, my heart was receiving this truth of like, oh, I hadn't done anything yet. I hadn't become a priest or any. I was just, I was just Scott. And there was just this deep conviction of like, oh, his love comes first. He's like, no, I just love you now. Like, you're already my beloved son. And now you can go live the rest of your life, however. And hopefully we do something beautiful together. And I'd love to do it with you. But you're already my son, like. You're already his daughter, his, his sons, and he already loves you. That's like that's done. That's all taken care of. So we can rest in that truth and rejoice in that truth. We've been given the, the greatest possible gift. It's incredible. It's beyond belief. We have become the beloved sons and daughters of God the Father, who is the infinite, 
perfect, most loving and tender father we could imagine.